Hello, and welcome to our latest Economics in Business podcast. My name is Hannah Ordino, and I'm an economist here at PwC. Today, I'm joined by Nick Forrest, who heads up our economics team. And we're going to be talking about a recent report we produced for Euroclear, a financial services firm who specialise in settling international securities transactions. We'll be discussing how Euroclear is facilitating international finance, the economic and market impacts, and the outlook for emerging capital markets. So kicking off, Nick, if we start by talking about how important capital markets actually are to countries and companies today. Thanks, Anna. So international capital markets are central to the way that money and finance moves around the world. And essentially, it's linking up those countries and individuals that have got more money, savings, Mm -hmm. to those countries and companies and individuals that need money and need to borrow. And it's the capital markets that enable that flow of money. And it means that savers can earn return and interest on their savings and borrowers can borrow. And that borrowing can be used for, um, for investment. So if we want to build um, yeah, new infrastructure in countries, uh, but it also can be used for you know, more day-to-day purposes, so paying for public sector workers. So, uh, so access to those international financial markets gives countries um, that source of finance that can be really helpful in managing their, their so- sovereign finances. Great. I mean, there obviously are also some downsides. I'm kind of thinking about the Southeast Asian crisis. We touch upon kind of the other side of the coin. Yes, you're right. So money that moves around the world can move uh, fast in one direction and it can move fast in another direction. And some of the criticisms of that have been how money's moved back away from uh, countries um, in particular when they've needed it. Um, but I think we need to trade off the the risk of sort of money moving around quickly um, against the, the benefits of access to international finance, but also what can be done to um, uh, to you know, shore up the stability of the global financial system and avoid some of those you know, events where money is moving around you know, adversely. Absolutely. So what is Euroclearability? So Euroclearability, um, it's all about connecting uh, domestic bond markets in countries uh, with international finance. So by domestic bond markets, uh, nations can have their own bonds that they issue, um, sovereign bonds um, issued in their own currency and issued locally. But if they're only being bought by local investors, that's quite a limited set of investors. Sure. So what Euroclear is doing is connecting those investors to the broader international global capital markets, much wider set of investors. Um, and just in enabling those flows of uh, finance. So your report was focused on looking at the benefits and the impact of Euroclearability. Can you talk through, say, the top three benefits to, to countries and economies? Sure. So, so firstly, um, access to international investors. So if you think about a, a, a country, uh, you can issue bonds domestically. You can issue bonds in your currency to very much your own savers in your economy. Um, but then you're constrained just to that, 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 that local system. So if you can get access to international investors, then you've got a, it's a world out there of investors. Uh, and you can find the one that's particularly interested in your kind of investment in terms of its risk profile uh, or its maturity. So that access to investors um, is great in terms of broadening out your investor base. And they're more likely then to sort of stay with you uh, as a long-term investment. The second area is lower costs. So whenever we see financial markets that are bigger and deeper and more liquid, they become more efficient. And that leads to lower cost, lower borrowing costs. So if you're an issuer, that means you can benefit from a lower interest rate. And that's great if you think about uh, ourselves, if we are borrowing a loan or have a mortgage, a lower interest rate 
means we have more money than we would have with a higher interest rate. And we can use that difference to spend on renovating the house, buying a car, Holiday. holidays, yeah, take, take your pick. So it's, it's no different really to a country. Um, if they've got a lower interest rate, then they can spend that money uh, on uh, infrastructure uh, or, or even you know, public um, yeah, servants and um, civil servants and, and spending on, on, on those workers. Or they can just accumulate debt less quickly. So that means that um, yeah, the debt burden in the countries will lower. So there's lots of benefits of a, of a lower borrowing cost. What we found was that the lower borrowing cost for those countries that are or have recently become euro clearable was 28 basis points. So a meaningful difference to the cost of borrowing. And then thirdly, um, reduce volatility. So because you've got access to a broader set of international investors, what we find is the volatility in the bond yield is less. The reason why that's quite important is that countries like to plan, like, like you and I do, their finances. And if their interest cost is moving around all over the place, what they're paying in interest, debt interest, is going to move around too. Mm. So it's a lot easier to plan and forecast your, your government finances if your bond yields are more stable. So that's a, a third benefit. So your report was focused on kind of putting a number to these benefits and quantifying it. How did you go about doing that? So this is where we used a tool called Econometrics. Um, so that's a, uh, a tool where we can put lots of data into a statistical package and really tease out what's influencing what. And what I mean by that is um, we're really interested in this study about Euroclearability. In fact, those countries that are Euroclearable compared to those that, are, that aren't. And we're interested in whether that has an impact on bond yields or the borrowing costs of, of nations. Now, the problem is there are lots of other things that impact bonds and their yields. We know that um, uh, longer maturing bonds tend to have a higher yield than shorter maturing bonds. We know that a higher credit risk country will have a higher yield than a lower credit risk country. So there are all these things that influence the, um, the yield on a bond. So we have to kind of control for those. So sure. we put those variables into our analysis. We control for them. We know they're dealt with. And then we can isolate, well, what's the impact of Euroclearability specifically? Uh, and that's where the econometric technique um, is great. It uses a lot of data, a lot of um, an analysis, but then we can isolate the fact that um, uh, according to our analysis over the last five or six years, there's a 28 basis points uh, reduction in borrowing costs for those countries that can achieve the status of being Euroclearable. Okay, well, let's put that in a bit of context. What does 28 basis points actually mean for a country? How big is this impact? So, yeah, so firstly, 28 basis points. From a financial economist perspective, 28 basis points is quite significant. Um, if you think about the Bank of England, they move interest rates often by 25 basis points or a quarter of a percent. And that's quite newsworthy. Uh, that'll be all over the news and, uh, and it'll have impacts on the economy in due course. So it is quite a, uh, an impactful figure. Now, it's important to note that it's not as important as a lot of other wider factors uh, that will impact borrowing costs, such as fiscal management, um, economic stability, even political risks and turmoil, or indeed kind of military type events. Uh, you know, they are far more substantive sure. uh, than the impact of your clearability. But let's not dismiss the importance of this. Having got the foundations of the economy working well, 28 basis points is quite uh, important. And we can model that in economic terms. Um, so you know, that uh, improvement to the six countries we looked at, which have most recently become Euroclearable, that to them we think is worth about 3.8 billion on GDP. Wow. That's 3.8 billion dollars on GDP over the next 10 years. 
So these are quite large sums for you know, in terms of nations financing. Yeah, absolutely. And are those countries they emerging markets or are they developed nations? So they're all emerging markets. Um, but uh, let's to put it in context for you, um, for those economies, that's equivalent to around about a one percentage point increase yeah. in the healthcare budget. Okay. So, you know, that could go to I think we we estimated one thousand five hundred hospitals. Um, or you know, paying doctors and nurses, you know, a nice impact to the Minister of Health, uh, <laughs> yeah. his uh, his budget there. So yeah. these are these are these are significant impacts. Yeah, definitely. And looking forward, what what's the outlook for emerging capital markets? So currently, emerging markets are, in general terms, in a reasonably good place. Um, the reason why the reason why I can say that is we track country risks through something called a country risk premium analysis. Uh, it's available on our website. You can go and have a look at it. And looking at that over time, as we have done for the last 20 years, the, the spreads on emerging market bonds are currently you know, relatively low, uh, certainly where they have been historically. So the outlook for emerging markets is quite good at the moment. But having said that, emerging markets is always a very diverse set of countries sure. as an asset class. So there are some countries that are improving and doing well. And in the context of this report on, on Euroclearability, uh, Egypt's made some strong moves recently to become more Euroclearable. Um, Russia's done a lot of issuance uh, of late. So there are some countries that are doing, doing well, uh, but there are some in Latin America that are not doing so well at the moment. So it's a, a broad asset class. Uh, but, uh, but at the moment, the outlook's pretty good for emerging markets. And bringing this a little bit closer to home to, to finish off, what about the UK? What can we say about the UK's um, outlook? So interestingly, the, uh, the biggest driver of emerging markets is often this concept of political risk. Uh, and for many years, we wouldn't have seen the UK as being a country with much political risk or uncertainty. Whereas, of course, recently we have seen that. Uh, the Brexit uh, challenges, the negotiations with Europe um, have introduced a high degree of you know, political uncertainty. And we can see that in the way that bond yields are moving around in the UK. We can also see it translating into fairly lacklustre business investment, consumer confidence, um, economic outlook is, uh, is pretty benign. Uh, I, I think that will carry on for the next uh, next six months or so. Great. Thank you so much, Nick. It's often hard to understand the complexity of capital markets, but it's great to talk about how this actually has a significant impact on countries and economies. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to read more, you can access the full report at the URL in the description. And please subscribe for future podcasts.